Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining us on Michigan Minds today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Can you please start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Sure. My name is Ramesh Nalia, and I'm the Associate Dean for Patient Services. So what that means is I provide oversight to the clinical enterprise at the School of Dentistry. Fantastic. And can you tell us a little bit about your research and the areas in which it focuses? I guess I've always been interested in access to care. You know, I'm from Australia. I've practiced in rural Australia. I've worked with Australian uh, Indigenous communities. I've worked in underserved parts of Massachusetts and have, um, I guess, always been interested in access to care because, you know, I grew up in Australia depending on the public health system for my health care. And so in this country, I've always been fascinated with access. And, you know, out of those studies in access to care, multiple side interests have come up as well. One is definitely the issue of race. Uh, race is unfortunately a predictor of access, and I'm no expert in race, but it becomes an issue in almost every, everything that we've studied. Um, and another area of interest for me has become how oral health and overall health interact. And a study that you authored examining the impact that oral care might have on a serious heart condition was recently featured in U.S. News and World Report, and it outlined how closely related medical and dental health really are. Can you dive into that a little bit for us and share a few key findings from that research? Sure. We studied patients receiving periodontal care, so that's deep cleanings. Uh, or dental, regular dental cleanings, or no dental care at all between 2016 and 2018, and had a heart attack in the year 2017. So we found that those with controlled periodontal care, so they were receiving their regular periodontal maintenance, those folks had the shortest length of stay, and the longest length of stay was experienced by the no care group. And so, you know, length of stay, of course, is, is also a proxy for um, the, the, the cost of care and um, you know, the resource utilization in hospital. Those beds were being taken by um, you know, patients that could have had um, you know, other care potentially. And in that piece, you advise that better communication between medical and dental teams could promote early intervention to ensure stable oral health in patients with risk factors for heart disease. Can you share a bit more on how important it is to include dental care in routine medical care? Sure. Well, you know, this is not our first study showing how oral disease worsens outcomes in a medical procedure or a medical condition. Uh, we've studied stem cell transplants, uh, heart valve surgery, open heart surgery with the use of heart-lung machines. Uh, we've studied patients with leukemia. And, th and then other researchers have studied pregnancy outcomes and how that's affected by oral health, uh, diabetes, kidney disease. And you know, we've all found that poor oral health makes outcomes worse. So for example, um, you know, practically how this should look, I think, is when a patient, for example, is first diagnosed with diabetes, the endocrinologist should immediately refer to a dentist uh, because poor oral health can literally worsen your diabetic status. And additionally, when a, when a physician 
for example, prescribes an antidepressant, many of these reduce saliva flow. And saliva is protective against dental disease. So if, if there's a reduction in saliva flow, there's an increased risk of dental disease. And then there's some medications too that cause gingival tissues to become inflamed. So there's many, many reasons why the medical and dental team should be collaborating on basically every patient to some degree. Can you talk a little bit about how research should then inform an evolution of health education, curriculum, and practice? I, I think in, in medical and dental school, our great challenge is not necessarily to teach everything that is known, but rather it is to teach students to become comfortable with change, be vigilant about new research, and have the skills to decipher between good and poor quality research. Um, you know, I, I graduated dental school in 2000. And so when I was in dental school in the late 90s, the way that you looked up a research article was that you would, you would look up the journal in the, I don't even know what it was called, the, the journal guide and find exactly where in the library it was. Then you would walk over to that area and then search the journal and read the article, you know, that you wanted to read. And, you know, you know now every article is at my fingertips in, you know, 30 seconds or less. So, so that means we as researchers can be much more productive and new knowledge is being generated at an unprecedented pace. And the real challenge is distinguishing the good from the bad. You work with the Institute for Healthcare Policy and Innovation to conduct some of your work. Can you talk about the advantages of collaborating with units like this across campus to further advance your work? Yeah, so the Institute for healthcare policy and innovation has been critical uh, in accelerating and elevating my work. And uh, you know, when those resources are not available in my school, I know that through the IHPI, I can reach resources and experts in other schools. Uh, so IHPI has helped me find collaborators, um, helped me get my research in front of policymakers. I'm deeply indebted to IHPI. And through IHPI, I've had the chance to collaborate with uh, social workers, and another a brilliant woman who helped write the Affordable Care Act uh, with an anesthesiologist, with a hand surgeon, with a transplant surgeon. It's been extraordinary and transformative for me, and I've learned so much. And it's it's all through you know uh, one of these institutes at University of Michigan. And taking that a step further. With the work that you do and how important it is to make sure that this is communicated to individuals who are learning and practicing, how important is it to conduct engagement work around research and share these findings and share your expertise with community members? You know, this has become more and more important to me, I guess. You know, as a young faculty, there are so many pressures on you, and I, and I guess. I used to feel a sense of satisfaction in publishing a research article, but I've come to realize that when you publish your research, that's actually when the real work begins. And, and now, how are you going to make changes? How are you going to get your work in front of the legislators and the senators who can influence, you know, influence care delivery um, in, in, your, in your local area and in your state? Dental Hygiene Month is celebrated in October. So can you share some of the best practices of dental hygiene that our listeners should know about? I think the best practice really is to find a regular dental home. I think everyone's risk factors and oral health 
and family history are all unique and you need to meet with your oral health professional, your, your dentist and your dental hygienist in order for them to figure out if you are at high risk of dental disease, low risk or somewhere in between. And once that is understood, your oral health team can devise a prevention plan that's customized to your needs. Thank you. So as the podcast comes to a close, we like to ask each expert who graciously joins us to share one takeaway. So what is one thing that you really want everyone listening to remember from all of this information that you've shared? I think if you're a patient or a provider, I would just say, don't forget oral health. Oral health is immutably linked to overall health. And some studies I've been involved with have shown, for example, that dental disease worsens outcomes in stem cell transplants, dental disease worsens outcomes in patients with leukemia, and now this study on heart attacks. Um, also separately, we found that having teeth fixed uh, helped people gain employment. You know, And oral health, this is not one of my studies, but oral health is still the, the number one reason why troops are not deployed. So oral health is absolutely critical in overall health and well-being. And from that last example, it's a matter of national security. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to share? I guess, you know, one more thing that I would want to add is that I believe dental insurance must be part and parcel of medical insurance. It's silly to separate oral health almost as though it's a luxury item and not part of basic health. When you buy medical insurance, it must include dental insurance and failing to do this may actually increase your costs on the medical side because we've seen time and time again that poor oral health worsens overall health outcomes. Thank you so much for your time today and for answering all of our questions. We really appreciate it. Sure, thank you. It's my pleasure to have this opportunity to speak with you about something I'm passionate about. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.